Great to see you tonight. We want to welcome everybody who's watching online. Uh, Renee and I have two very special guests with us. Uh, our daughter, Kennedy, is getting married on Saturday. And so we have friends that are flying in. And on the front row with us tonight, we have Larry and Holly Jones. Would you stand and just wave to everyone? And uh, they're dear, dear friends. We've done a lot of traveling with them. And you may recognize Larry. Larry is a social influencer. He has 610,000 followers. He puts out videos every day. And he just shared with me today, they, he crossed the 50 million views mark. And I've known this guy for 13, 14 years, and I saw him start with absolutely nothing. You want to talk about an American success story? There it is right there. And uh, let's give Larry and Holly another hand of appreciation. It's awesome, and it's inspiring. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I can be like anyone else. I can be a little cynical, and you see somebody, and you, you wonder sometimes, well, I wonder if that's all true. And I love it when I have a front row seat to see how God is blessing and promoting and breaking through. And I've had a front row seat with Larry Jones, and it's been just absolutely remarkable. Tonight, we're going to bring our series, A New Normal, to a conclusion. Here's what Scott Wilson, in his book, Act Normal, writes. What is the normal Christian life? If we put all the names of all Christians across, across the globe into a hat, and selected a dozen or so to observe them for a few weeks, what could we conclude is a normal life for people who claim to know Christ? Undoubtedly, we would notice that some of them are full of passion and joy. They live their lives like they're on a mission, and they are. Their lives overflow with words of kindness, acts of compassion towards others. When faced with difficult circumstances or challenges, they prayed, they read scripture, they trust God to lead them in the right decisions. They're not content just to slide through life or to simply get by, but they are determined to make a difference. Something powerfully moves them to be more and to want more and to do more. That said, he also writes, sadly, however, we would also observe those who simply are going through the motions of life. They're attending church a few times. They're singing songs about God. They're putting a few dollars in the offering plate, maybe showing up for a Bible study now and then. And though they appear to be religious, in reality, their daily lives are not that much different from countless others who don't know God at all. And he asked this question, which one then is normal? And we've been talking about setting a new normal. And maybe we need to redefine some things. Dino Rizzo said maybe normal isn't what we think. Maybe as followers of Jesus, we need to rethink normal. It's not that we want to stick out like sore thumbs on humanity, but that we are created to stand out because God crafted us to fit into God's definition of normal. And I've said this for many years. I read it in one of my quote books, illustration books or whatever. The danger is not that we set our goals too high and we miss them. The danger is that we set our goals too low and we reach them. 
And we need to raise the standard. And we've been talking about that through this series. And tonight, as I bring it in for a landing, uh, I've entitled this message, Make Up Your Mind, Change Your World. Make up your mind and change your world. Last week, Pastor Dave gave a wonderful message on sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. He really hammered home that point, backed up with scripture, gave us a foundation, gave us the tools that we needed. Okay, we're going to sow these things. We're going to reap these things. That's a principle that's tied to the word of God. It's a promise within the word of God. And again, I read this many years ago, and it even ties into what I was preaching on two weeks ago about holy habits. But Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, and you got to follow basically the, 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 trans, the trans movement that, that is happening here from one to another. It's like a domino effect. Sow a thought, you reap an action. Sow an action, action you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character... You reap a destiny. Because ultimately, it's your character that's going to provide proof or the lack of proof of what is your new normal. And a bad fruit, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. If you really have the character and you really have that kind of commitment to that Christ-likeness, your normal, new normal, is going to be witnessed by everyone around you. And tonight, I want to... I've. I, I, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I have three points, and that's when they know to get on the keyboard and point three. And I told everyone tonight, I don't have any points, so this sermon is pointless. Amen. <laughs> Most people feel that even when I have my three points. But I haven't put it together. Maybe it's because I, I, the clock is ticking, and, and my daughter's getting married, and I'm doing double duty that day. I'm going to walk her down the aisle... And it's going to be exciting. And by the way, just in case you don't know this, it's a whole different deal than when your son gets married compared to one of your daughters getting married. When my son got married, I was like, we got it. No problem. Hallelujah. Let's have a good time. With my daughter getting married, I'm losing it. Like Kramer. I'm out there, man. And... <laughs> I'm walking her down the aisle on Saturday, and then I'm going to do a Houdini, and I'm going to go from the father of the bride saying, who gives this woman to be married? Her mother and I, and then abracadabra, I'm going to be up on stage performing the wedding. Hallelujah. Double duty. I asked for a double portion. That's not what I think I was hoping for. It's going to be, and by the way, people are taking bets already at how many minutes into the ceremony before I completely just... Because <laughs> we all know that I... Hey, I wake up emotionally unstable. I am emotionally unstable. And I cry very, very easily, but that's, that's the, the, the over-under right now. It's like two minutes in. Will it be when he takes the first step? No, maybe it's when the time he gets up and he starts to do the communion part. Who knows? But it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I've got some scriptures here tonight that I, I want to just kind of share some, some thoughts. And it, it may appear to be random, but they all are really going to kind of fit together and coalesce. Exodus thirteen seventeen. And again, what's my title? What's my thought tonight? What's the truth? Make up your mind. Change your world. 
Exodus 13, 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had, led the peop- had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Another version says through the shortest route, the most expedient route. He didn't take them that way, although that way was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. And God was saying, listen, I've got the shortest route already mapped out. The problem is you're not ready to take that journey because you haven't made up your mind. And if you wait until that moment, what's going to happen when the moment comes and the battle shows up and all hell breaks loose and there's challenges and there's chaos and there's crisis in that moment, I already know that you're going to fold. Because you haven't made your mind up yet. And I wonder how many of us are taking the long way. Another version says the way of the wilderness. Sometimes you've got to go through a wilderness. Sometimes the way of the wilderness is, is avoidable. You don't have to take the long way home. But you've got to make up your mind first. Come hell or high water. I'm going to follow through with what God is saying to me. Are you with me? And he said I'd like to guys. I really would. But you might change your minds. You got to make up your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And many times we, we fail to recognize the war zone so many times is not external, but it's internal and it's right between here. Joyce Myers is one of her favorite topics to talk about throughout the history of her ministry is the battlefield of the mind. And it's talking about here that the strongholds that need to come down sometimes are right here between our ears. And we've got to recognize those things. And we've got, we got to understand that we have one or two options. Either we take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ or our thoughts take us captive to the disobedience of Christ. Disobedience in that you're settling less than God's best. You're not going to achieve that new normal. You're going to have a substandard life. You're going to settle in for something that God never got excited about. And we go around kind of high-fiving one another. And God is saying, why are you getting so excited? I have so much more for your life. So much more for your marriage. So much more. I am so much more. Why don't you set your sights a little higher? Somebody said, I don't get it. Understanding that the spiritual battleground for the Christian is found within the mind is critical. You can't fight a battle if you don't know where it is. Control of the thoughts we think to ourselves, the self-talk, is where the most fierce spiritual battles occur, and the average Christian doesn't even know it. This is even more true for the non-Christian who is oblivious to the war. And our self-talk many times is not affirming or confirming the call and the commitment that we have to Christ. Many times it's disqualifying, it's negative, it's critical towards ourselves. We may have those thoughts towards others, but let me tell you what, and here's the truth. Uh, The devil could never do the damage. He would like to do the damage that I've already done to myself. 
I didn't even need him. The devil didn't, the, the, the devil didn't put me on. You know, back in the 70s, I grew up and there was a show, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make me do anything. I did everything that I, that, and I had to take responsibility for it. But at the end of the day, I was destructive and defective in my thoughts. And I took the bait of Satan and I gave into temptation and I compromised so many different things. And, I, and many times the devil, if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I, I do a, a message on this, that many times when they come to find basically Saul on the battlefield, they don't even know that they had taken him out. Why? Because they hadn't taken him out. He fell on his own sword. And Saul was not defeated, but Saul was defaulted. He defaulted, and therefore the enemy got the victory. There are too many Christians that default on their potential victories, and yet their armor's hanging in the temple of the enemy. I'm going to come back on another time on a Wednesday night and really break that off because that, to me, is one of the most tragic stories in the entire Bible. The enemy didn't take him out. Yeah, he hurt him and he hit him. Saul took himself out, fell on his own sword. 1 Samuel verses 17, verses 24 and 25. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and they were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up here? And this is David. He shows up. On the 40th day, that every morning and every evening, giant, uh, the giant Goliath would go out and present himself, and he's like, give me one guy. Let's just settle this. If you saw the movie Troy with, with, with Brad Pitt, and, and basically, as, as Achilles, he was taking on another guy, and they basically said, whoever, last man standing, that will determine the outcome and the ultimate victory for either side. And it wasn't uncommon in that culture. Give me a champion from one side, and a champion another will spare all of the unnecessary death, and one will claim victory over the other. And Goliath would come out every day and he said, give me one guy, give me one guy, give me one guy. And all of these guys, but what's so ironic and what's so silly, it says every morning they got up, the Israelites, the people of God, the children of God, and they were going into battle, singing the battle cry. And in the morning before Goliath showed up, they thought, we can't lose. By evening, they said, we can't win. And to me, I've lived that. I've been that. Sometimes... You, you feel that pull, that, that dichotomy within you. It's like, man, there's a side of you said, man, man, we can't lose. I, with God, all things are possible. Then on the other side, it's like, man, I, I, I can't win. And to me, that's, that's the picture of a double-minded man. That's what the Bible says in James 1.8. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In the Amplified Classic, it really kind of brings it out even more. It says, for being as he is, a man of two minds... Hesitating, dubious, irresolute, irresolute. He is unstable, unreliable, and uncertain about everything he thinks and feels and decides. And if you remember, like, hey, listen, some some of the remakes are okay, but I, I I'm an original kind of guy. I don't need a remake of the Karate Kid. Give me Daniel Son and Mr. Miyagi. Can I get an amen? And in the original, in the original with, with Daniel-san and Mr. Miyagi, he says, too many minds. And Daniel's like, what the heck are you talking about? And he said, and Mr. Miyagi, who was all-knowing and all-wise. <laughs> he said, you have too many minds. You've got a mind over here and your mind over here and you're divided. When the Bible says in 1 Peter that we are to cast all our cares upon him for he cares for you, that word cares in the Greek New Testament means a mind that is divided, it's split. The Bible says a house divided against itself 
cannot stand. And sometimes we apply that to marriages, and rightfully so. But many times the division is sometimes within our own minds, and we're up too many minds. And there's a division, there's anxiety, there's, there's a burden, there, there's a distraction. All of those things are associated with that word cares. Cast all our cares upon him. Because God knows that if our, we have too many minds, if our mind is divided, if we are of two minds, we're, and Joyce Myers would always say this. She would, go, she would always talk about this verse. She said, if you're unstable, you're unable. If you're unstable, you're unable. And I completely agree with that. I see that played out again and again and again and again and again. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you there, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I think we get very excited, very passionate, very, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I signed up for. I want the acceptable and the good and the perfect will of God. I don't want the okay, just marginalized, kind of, sort of, close to God's perfect will. I want to be in God's perfect will and that it's good and acceptable and it's awesome and I'm aware of it and I'm on that path. I'm taking that journey with Jesus. It's amazing. But if that is to happen, we got to have that renewing of our mind that transforms us. And by the way, this is interesting. I learned this many years ago when I went to one of Jack Hayford's School of Pastoral Nurture. And, 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 it, and it was remarkable because many times, and I believe it's in Matthew 17, when Jesus takes the three guys up on the mountain, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's transfigured there, and they're like, wow, this is, this is incredible. It's the exact same word that is used here in Romans chapter 12, and what was coming through Jesus was basically from the inside out. Many times, at least the way that I preached or I've heard it preached, is that Jesus is up there, and there's like a holy beam that's coming down from heaven, and it's like, Jesus, oh! No, from what was happening from the inside out, transfigured him. And in Romans chapter 12, it says this can be our reality, but that's not a one-time thing, you guys. It's a lifetime thing. It's a lifetime thing where we need that. 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Like, what are you talking about? It says, Be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. But another version simply says this, Put your mind in gear. I love that. Now, when we put it in gear, it does not mean reverse. And it does not mean to sit there revving your RPMs, sitting there in neutral, looking like you're all bad. You got to put your mind in gear if you're going to press towards the mark. You got to put your mind in gear if you're going to take new ground for God. You've got to put your mind in gear if you're going to put feet to your faith and really walk out God's good and perfect and acceptable will for your life. And you've got to put your mind in gear. And as you put your mind in gear, and as you've learned over these last three or four weeks, and you start to build brick upon brick and the foundation is solid, 
you will discover a new normal for your life. You put your mind in gear and be intentional and form those holy habits like I was talking about two weeks ago. You do some sowing and reaping like Pastor Dave was talking about last week. And before you know it, five years down the road, like he was talking about last week, you look back and you don't even recognize yourself in a great way. You look back and you say, who is that guy? That was me? I, that can't be me because I've changed so much. I transformed so much. I'm not even remotely close to that guy anymore. Because that's what can happen, but we got to put our mind in gear. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on the things above and not on the things of earth. Philippians 4.8, it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are normal, whatever things are just, a noble, I should say, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think upon these things. And how many of us do the exact opposite of that? And man, I am notorious. I can have a, I, if I have 100 things that are going on in my life, and I can have 99 of them get a thumbs up, and I have one of them that's kind of down, I go chasing that. And I usually justify it. Well, Jesus left the 99, went after the one lost sheep. That's not what he's talking about. I can have, I can pre, I've been preaching for 30 years. I can, I can have 10 people say, Pastor Todd, that was the most incredible message I've ever heard. I've never heard that, but I'm hoping to hear that someday. <laughs> in, my, in my dreams. And yet, I can have somebody come up and say, whoever licensed you to preach... That was the most pathetic, poorly thought out. Well, that was where they made a mistake. I didn't think about it at all. That was a joke right there, but see. <laughs> and one person can just say, I, I didn't get anything out of that. That was a complete waste of my time. I'm quitting this church. You ought to, you ought to turn in your credentials. You ought to go get a, a job at 7-Eleven. You ought to be doing something else with your life because you're certainly not qualified or called to do this. And man, I'll go home and think, oh, what am I doing in the ministry? And yet, you can have the fruit of transformed lives and marriages that are restored and all kinds of... How many of us go chasing that negative? And what Paul is saying here, and you've got to consider the, 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 the source here where he's writing this. Paul's writing this as he's awaiting his impending execution in a Roman prison cell. And in this same chapter, he's writing, Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. And if you didn't know better, you think this guy is on the Lido deck uh, taking a prince's cruise to Mexico at an all-exclusive. He's got, it. He's got a, not a care in the world. He's in a four-by-four, six-prison cell. He's chained to a guard. There's no indoor uh, plumbing, by the way. I mean, it's a complete nightmare. And he's saying, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And then he's saying, by the way, when you're about to think about some things, whatever things are pure and lovely and awesome, think on those things. Let me tell you, if Paul can say that to us in those conditions, we ought to take that seriously. Can somebody say amen? I remember years ago when this song came out, I'm not going to sing it. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost and how he healed me 
to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord and how he picked me up and turned me around and how he set my feet on solid ground, when I think about the Lord, it makes me want to shout. And I think there is the absence of shouting, or if we do have a shout, I heard Mario Murillo say this years ago, we have a shout with no clout. It's just a lot of superficial emotionalism. But man, when you really get a hold of Jesus, and when Jesus really gets a hold of you, you have a shout with some clout, and you begin to, you're able to shout in that prison cell. You're able, to, you're able to shout in that season that is not so great. You're able to shout when in your life, man, there's no indoor plumbing. Can I get an amen? If you have issues with that, don't talk to me after. Makes me want to shout. Clint Brown... Kirk Franklin used to do this all the time, and we did it in Master's Commission. When I think about Jesus and what he's done for me, when I think about Jesus and how he set me free, I want to dance, 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 dance all night, all night. And man, when you start thinking about that, what's wrong with us? Is it because our relationship is so threadbare? So just kind of tinsel? I got to evaluate my own life, but I need to be thinking about Jesus more. In closing, I don't know if you're laughing because you don't believe me. I don't know if you're laughing because you think I stink. I don't know why you're laughing, but I don't really give a rip. Amen. I do. Psalms 139, 23, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. A few weeks ago at Glendale, I was preaching on anxiety, and I'm not going to revisit that, but America is the most stressed out nation in all of the world. And it's at epidemic proportions. And they did an interesting uh, study that was just kind of eye-opening. America is still the greatest country on the earth. People want to come here and pursue the American dream. But what was interesting is that when other people from other countries, like myself, I'm from Canada. I, I, I'm, I'm an immigrant, man. And I've got my citizenship, and I say, God bless America, and I mean it with all my heart. But I'll tell you, though, I'll tell you what, 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 what was interesting in these third world countries where they don't even have the basic necessities of life, a roof over their head, food on the table, clothes on their back, and they come to America... And they get a job, and they get employed, and they, and they start to have an apartment. They start to have a paycheck. They start to get those comforts of life. But one of the things was very surprising is that when they showed up, though they didn't have the basic necessities, they were not stressed out. And yet, ironically, when they came to America, started pursuing the American dream, and we said, God bless the American dream. It, it's a great thing. It, I, I love that about America, that it's in the fabric of the country. I, love, I identify with that. It was one of the things that pulled on my heart to come to America. The American dream, in Canada, we really don't have the equivalent to the American dream. I identify with the American dream. That said, these immigrants that came and as they started to find their own American dream, they couldn't believe how stressed out and anxious they became. Anxiety is everywhere. The psalmist says, I got some anxious thoughts. So what's the antidote to that? To me, it's Isaiah 26, verse 3. And as the band comes up, here they come. Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. 
People are asking me all the time now, and it's kind of funny, I have turned into Oprah. Because now every time I preach, and because I recommend different books, they're like, what book? I, I'm intentionally, I had a couple of books I was gonna bring with me tonight. One of them was called by Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew. If you haven't fallen in love with Jesus, or maybe you've fallen into a, just a familiar place, read Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew. It'll rock your world. Great book. But I'm reading Dr. Henry Cloud's book right now on trust. And he says, at the end of the day, trust is the fuel of life. And it says here that there's a perfect peace that can be found. But it's not going to happen if you don't make up your mind, fix your thoughts, fix your intentions, fix your affections, set your mind on things above. And without reservation, without qualification, without condition, trust him. And I've asked Jeff May tonight to come and to conclude this service and sing a song that as I was putting this message together, it's gonna take some of you back. For some of you that are younger, maybe you, you, you might have never heard this song before, but as I was putting this message together this week, I reached out to Jeff and I said, do you, do you sing this song? He says, yes, I do. And I said, I can't, I can't stop thinking about it because as I was putting this message together, I, I recognized all over again, my passion, my heart, my everything has got to be inclined towards Jesus. It's all about Jesus in this life. And when we get to heaven, it's gonna be all about Jesus in the next life. So Jeff, come and sing. Oh 
lift your hands with me all over this place. Just tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you need him. Tell him once again that you want to fall in love with him all over again, kind of like what Pastor Ash was saying earlier. We need that first love. Don't let it be said about us individually or as a church. I've got this against you. You've left your first love. You're still doing all kinds of great things. But you've forgotten about me. Heavenly Father, tonight we sing glory. We fall at your feet, Jesus, Lord. So many times I see myself in that story of Mary and Martha. I'm I'm trying to serve and I'm trying to get things done. And yet you said to Martha, you said, you know, you're distracted with much serving. And you weren't putting down her serving. But she was neglecting the opportunity to worship. She was neglecting that first love. She was neglecting to put you first. And then everything else will fall into place. We thank you, Lord, tonight. We're going to make up our minds We're going to change our worlds. We're going to set a new normal and a higher standard. But Lord, it all begins with you. We love you and we praise you. We adore you. We honor you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.